Hey there, I'm Adam Demetrician, the lead pastor at Pathways Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this is our podcast. I hope this message inspires you, feeds your faith, and ultimately leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Pathways, how we doing, good? It's uh, great to be here with you today, and I'm so excited for what God has for us. If you're on site online, I want to welcome you. If you're our guest today, make sure you stop out and connect. We have a special gift prepared for you. And if you want to take a next step, uh, coming up is something called Newish. It's going to be taking place on Sunday. Uh, November 20th. And so if you're a guest today and you want to have some questions about our church and learn who we are, we'd love for you to take place and be a part of that. Well, hey, can we show our appreciation to our volunteers on our worship and our tech team? They do a fantastic job every week, right? Don't they? So proud of them as they, they lead us in worshiping God and going to the throne room and just praising God because we were created for worship. And there are so many great things that are happening in our church family around Pathways. And I want to share a couple of them with you. The first is this. Friday night, we had a group of women, a great group of women who were together and they were fellowshipping. It's called the If Gathering. They had a charcuterie board. That's a meat log, a meat boat. And it was like the length of a football field. And uh, women had an awesome time uh, just having some content prepared for them, specifically worshiping together. And the purpose of that event is for women to make connections. And those connections form relationships. And those relationships are important. You'll see a picture of two individuals, two ladies, Lauren and Emily, who met several years ago at an IF gathering and now are part of a small group together. Their families do life together. And it's so important for your continued growth that you find community. The row, which you're a part of right now, the row is not enough. You have to find community, you have to find your people. So make sure that you get into a serving circle or a circle, a small group of friends as you grow in Christ together. The second thing that's really exciting is uh, I told you a couple of weeks ago that I'd give you some information on a uh, uh, mission trip down to Florida for the Ian Relief. And so we're gonna be going down January 16th through 21st. Small team, so make sure that you sign up out at Connect or you can email us at info at pathwayschurch.us. Somebody will reach out and get you all the information and details on that trip. How about one more thing? Can we do one more? One more? One more, one more good thing here at Pathways. I'm so excited to see that God is growing our hearts of giving through uh, worship, through giving. Uh, it's amazing to watch how God is just growing our congregation. And uh, we believe here at Pathways, we believe in the tithe. We believe that God uh, blesses us with resources and the first 10% we return back to God out of a heart of generosity and gratitude and obedience to him. And how many of you know that blessings follow obedience? They come in all different forms, but blessings follow obedience. And I'm so excited that our congregation is a part of that. I was talking to a congregant this week and they said, you know, I've been on the fringes of late here, but you know, Pathways is my church. God is my God. I'm going all in. I started, I committed to tithing and I am excited to see what God does. And that just thrilled my heart because I've seen so many people, uh, God does some incredible things as they honor him. And uh, we're so committed to your area of finances that coming up in December, December 7th and 14th, it's a two-part thing. If you're 20-something, you need to be a part of our budget workshop. And very practical, uh, somebody, a team that will lead you and be a part of that. So if you're a 20-something, make sure you sign up. If you're a parent of a high school student, a junior or a senior in high school, tell them this. 
I want you to go to this budget workshop because this is your gift to me as mom or dad. This is your gift. This is what you can do for Christmas. I want you to go to the budget workshop. And you know why? Because how many of you know that it is far more important, it is so important that we're, we're proactive versus reactive in areas of our lives, especially when it comes to the area of finances, right? Amen? All right, so today we're starting a brand new series called Bold. Everybody say bold. Pray daringly. And so we're gonna pray some daring prayers together. And I'm so excited about this. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I wanna pray daring prayers. I wanna have bold prayers. Are you with me? Anybody with me on that? You wanna pray some bold prayers. And so that's what we're gonna look at for the next three weeks. What I wanna do is I wanna challenge you. I wanna give you three prayers that are gonna push you and grow you in your walk and in your prayer life. And so I'm really excited about this uh, brand new series that we're gonna be talking about. And you know, I believe that God hears and he answers our prayers. God hears our prayers, he answers our prayers because what, what we pray about, God brings about when we are about his will. What we pray about, God brings about when we are about his will, when we're aligned to his will and what he wants. Now, it might not happen on our timetable and it might not happen with the same expectations that we have when God should move. But when we're about his will and when we pray, God not only hears, but he acts on our behalf. For example, think recently in the Supreme Court and how it overturned Roe v. Wade. How many Christians came up to me and said, you know, Pastor Adam, I never thought that was gonna happen in my lifetime. But because people were praying, Christians were praying, and their voice was heard in the political arena as well as in heaven, God acted on behalf of the unborn. Now, I know that some people would say, well, yeah, that's gonna put pushed at the state level, but friends, here's the deal. That was a major decision because God hears and he answers his people when they pray according to his will. And it's our responsibility to make sure that our voices are not only heard in heaven, but on earth. And so we need to be a part of the solution of not only praying, but also of voting. Well, let me tell you why we're doing this series. Let me tell you why we're doing this series. We're doing this series because there is something that breaks my heart when I read some information. This week, I recently found a uh, 2022, back in May, Gallup poll did a survey of Americans, and we reached an all-time low. About 81% of Americans believe in God. There's a growing number of people who are classified as nuns. They have no affiliation. But out of the 81% of Americans who are Christians, here's their beliefs about prayer. Only 42% believe that God hears and has the power to intervene in their situation. Another 28% believes that, that he hears, but he does not have the power to intervene. And then there's 11% of Christian Americans who don't believe that God can hear their prayer and don't believe that he has any power to do anything and intervene about their requests. Now friends, that breaks my heart. That, that, that's really troubling. It's really troubling. In a room this size of about 400 people and those who are online, if the stats are correct, this is how it would impact us. 
400 believers here at Pathways. There's 168 of us who believe that God can hear and intervene on our behalf, only 168. There's another 128 that believes that God hears prayer, but he has absolutely no power to intervene in your situation. And there's 44 individuals who believe that God does not hear and does not have the power to intervene. Wow. But not at Pathways, right? Not at Pathways. Thanks for laughing. Our, our percentages are much higher. I mean, we believe that God hears and he answers prayer. That's why we want to pray daring kinds of prayers. Now, the prayer that we're going to pray and we're going to look at this weekend, some of you won't want to pray this prayer. Some of you will walk away and you'll think to yourself, I'm not sure I want to pray that prayer. And you know why? Because it flies in the face of popular Christianity, the brand of Christianity that, that really exists and puts out there that God is designed for us. We, we really exist, God exists for us and he exists for our comfort and our ease. That, that really he's there to prosper us and benefit us. This, this prayer flies in the face of those. This prayer is not a prayer that you wanna pray because this prayer is a tough prayer. This prayer, I mean, I know there are safe and normal prayers and I pray those prayers too, I'm like you. I pray prayers, quite honestly, because I don't want to be inconvenienced and I don't want to be interrupted. So I pray prayers like this. Have you ever prayed a prayer like this? God, as I wake up today, would you bless me today? God, would you just make everything really easy and smooth? God, I want to have good food. I want to hit all the green lights. I don't want any problems at work. I want my kids to behave and I want everyone around me to like me and to make sure that everything that I do is great. In Jesus' name, the strong son of God, amen. The problem is, the problem is this. I'm not sure how, how strong Jesus needs to be to answer those prayers. Those prayers are unadventurous. Not that they're unimportant. They are important. And I pray those prayers too. But to have a prayer that is daring, that buries our head and our heart into the spirit of God, that has adventure and that pushes us as a group of people, that's a totally different kind of prayer. That's not a safe, that's not a normal, that's not an everyday prayer. But that, that prayer, that prayer that we're gonna look at this weekend is, God, break my heart. God, break my heart. That flies in the face of, of modern Christianity that basically is really God there to make our lives comfortable and easy. It goes against prayers like this. God, this is the year of abundance. God, would you multiply? God, would you pour out your favor? Those prayers are legitimate prayers, but this is not the prayer that we're looking at. This is, this is not the prayer that says, God, would you accelerate? God, would you grow? God, would you do? Lord, it's not that kind of prayer. This prayer is totally different. This prayer is a prayer that says, God, would you just break my heart? Now, the thing about a broken heart is this. When our heart breaks, we think that our heart is total disrepair, that it can never be put back together. But what if, 
What if God's greatest blessings come after God's greatest breakings? What if God wants to break our hearts such that we get beyond our selfishness to a place where we begin to care for what breaks God's heart? It's the gnawing inside of you that moves you beyond your comfort and your ease to pray prayers. God, would you break my heart? I wanna feel what you feel. I wanna see what you see. I wanna sense what you sense. You know why? Because here's what I've experienced, and this is a foundational truth I wanna land on this weekend. Comfort usually doesn't drive change. It doesn't. Comfort doesn't drive change. It doesn't in you personally. Think about it, exercise. There's pain. There's a breaking, there's a tearing of your muscles in order to increase your muscle mass. It doesn't happen. Listen, all comfort does inside of us is to generate a desire for more comfort, right? So today, what I wanna do is, I wanna look at this prayer through the eyes of an Old Testament character. His name is Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a project manager. Nehemiah was a builder. Everybody say builder. And Nehemiah was a leader for God's people. If you have a Bible, go with me or mobile device, click over to the book of Nehemiah chapter one. And as you're making your way there in the book of Nehemiah, I wanna give you some context. Now, if you are new to faith or new to the church, uh, or new to the Bible, there are two Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. 39 books in the New Testament, 27 in the, uh, tw 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, 66 books, right? Now, in the Old Testament, it closes with a book. The last book of the New Testament is what? Anybody know? Malachi, not Malachi, Malachi, okay? Ma Malachi. But from a chronological perspective, the last book of God's story in the Old Testament is the book of Nehemiah. It happened 400 years, which scholars call the intertestamental period, 400 years of silence before the opening of the gospels in the New Testament. This is the book of Nehemiah. And here's what it says in Nehemiah chapter one, beginning in verse one. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. Everybody say Hakaliah. If you need, uh, need to name your son, that name is not taken. Hakaliah, nobody in his kindergarten class would have that name. In the month of Kislev, remember that, that's the month of December, Kislev, in the 20th year while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So in other words, Nehemiah says, hey, give me a little report. How's it going in Jerusalem? How are God's people? What's up? What's going on? Share, like hit me up. Well, Nehemiah gets his response in verse three. Hananiah and some others said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Not the report that Nehemiah was looking for. Not good, Nehemiah. Life's not good back in Jerusalem. Hard times, bad things are happening. 
God's name is being disgraced because God's people are outside the umbrella of his protection and his provision in their lives. They've walked away from the commands of God and therefore the walls are in disrepair and the reputation of God, his name is suffering. Now, why does Nehemiah care? I don't ask that in a callous way, but you have to understand what's taking place in Nehemiah's life. His current situation, he's over 900 miles away in the capital city of Susa. And he has a job. You know where his place of employment is? It's in the palace. The last verse of Nehemiah chapter one, verse 11 says this, I was cut bare to the king. Now you have to understand a cut bear, that is an amazing job. Do you know why? It's a little risky because everybody wants to kill the king. So the cupbearer eats the food of the king and drinks the cup prior to the king eating the food and drinking the cup. I get it, it's risky, okay? Let's just, everybody say risky. But if you have a profile of a risk taker, think about this. You get the best food in all the Babylonian empire three times a day, not including snacks, and you get to hang in the palace. I did that job. I, I, yeah, sign me up, right? So Nehemiah, he's in a place of comfort. He has a lot of influence. Besides the king's wife, he's one of the most influential confidants of the king. He sees it all, he hears it all, he knows everything about the king, and he's 900 miles away from his people. Why does he care? You know why he cares? Because he cares about the reputation and the grace and the glory of God. He doesn't want his God and he doesn't want God's people to suffer. And he's moved beyond his comfort and his heart breaks. You know how I know that? Because here's Nehemiah's response. Verse four says this. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah was saying, God, would you break my heart for the things that break your heart? The people were a disgrace. And Nehemiah, he so cared about God that he began to pray this prayer. God, please break my heart. Here's this prayer. There's three verses. He gets and he sits. Verse four says he weeps. He's not just boo-hoo. This is something gnawing at him. This is something that, listen, you pray this prayer, God, break my heart. You're not gonna be able to sleep at night. You're gonna do things. You're gonna step out in faith. You're gonna say things. You're gonna believe for things that the normal Christian doesn't believe and say and think because your heart is gonna feel like the heart of God. And Nehemiah was like, God, break my heart. For some days, this is the prayer that he prays. Verse five, he says this, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to, to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, day and night. The people of Israel, I confess, watch this, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself, 
and my father's family have committed against you. See, not only was Nehemiah, not only was his heart broken over the walls being in disrepair, but Nehemiah's heart was broken for the very reason why the walls were in disrepair. The very reason why God's people were a disgrace and God's reputation and his glory was being tarnished. Why? Because of sin. Every time your heart is broken, it begins with a place of confession and repentance. And notice, Nehemiah doesn't just simply say, because of all the people, all the Israelites. No, 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 no. It's your guys' fault. No, 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 no. He says, because of my sin and my father's family. Sometimes we think of sin in a very individualistic, a very personal way. Like if I sin, then there's a consequence to my sin. Yes, I can have forgiveness, but we think of sin very individualistically. But what Nehemiah demonstrates to us is that sin also has a corporate effect. That the sins of the nation of Israel impacted the sins, uh, the, the lives of the nation of Israel. It makes me wonder how our sins as Christians impact our church, how they impact our community, how they impact our state, how they impact our nation. Nehemiah says, God, would you break my heart? Question. Scripture says that he prays for some days. How long do you think some days means? How long? Anybody, anybody, how long? How many? In fact, do this. Turn to your neighbor, turn to your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your um, spouse, turn to somebody and answer that question. Take a guess. How many days do you think Nehemiah, he was weeping and mourning? Take a guess. How many days? Go ahead and turn, talk to somebody. Answer that question. Take a guess. How many days? All right, talk to me. How many days? Online, put it in the chat. How many days you think? Just let somebody know. Talk to me in the room. Seven, three, 15, 50, 40. Okay, now this is not a, an insignificant detail. This is really important. It's important historically. It's important spiritually and theologically. I want you to pick up on this. In chapter one, the only other thing be before the opening of chapter two is this entire prayer. So you can read that in verses five through 10. Verse 11 gives his place of employment, his job, right? He's a cupbearer. Now notice in chapter two, verse one, it says this. This is the way it opens. 2.1 says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. What month did Nehemiah begin to pray in chapter one? He heard the report, when? In December. In the Jewish calendar, Nisan would be equivalent to April for us. So the moment he hears the report to the month of April, approximately 90 days, all Nehemiah does is pray this prayer. God, forgive us of our sins. God, break my heart. God, please break my heart. Break my heart. Break my heart. For 90 days, this is his prayer. Why is that important? Well, it's important because do you know how long it took Nehemiah and the nation of Israel to rebuild the walls? We find that answer in chapter six, verse 15. 
So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elu in 52 days. The point is this, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. For 90 days, he was praying and God was at work. And only for 52, the greater work is always the work of prayer to pray daring prayers. Say, God, break my heart for the things that break your heart because when our heart is broken and we're in touch with the heart of God, it moves us to act. It gives us an energy, a, a possibility, a a way of looking at things through a limitless supply of resources and power and energy. For 90 days, he prayed this. And it only took 52 days to build. Why? Because at the basis of Nehemiah's calling, his leadership, his love, his passion, was a prayer to say, forgive us of our sins, break my heart, God, I'm hearing this report, and I can't do anything but sit here and weep and mourn and fast because I want to make your name famous and I don't want your people to suffer. So God, here I am. Break my heart. Nehemiah's heart was broken over the walls. But before he could build I think God had to keep him in a place of brokenness. And before you build, your heart needs to remain in a place of brokenness, saturated and bathed in prayer. That's why we're doing this series called Bold. Pray daringly. Because I asked myself this question this week. Adam, what do you cry over? And if what you're crying over breaks the heart of God, then Adam, continue to cry. Let your heart break for that. I wanna ask you, what breaks your heart? Is the thing that breaks your heart something that breaks God's heart? Something that you sense his, his heart, his, his very being. Oh, if I just had one of my kids, if I had a group of people, if I had a generation to have my heart, oh, what could I do? How could I move? You know, some 430 years later, after the close of the final chapter in God's story in the book of Nehemiah, came a man who was a Jewish carpenter. He rode in on a donkey on the final week of his life, what we would know as Palm Sunday. And crowds cried, Hosanna, literally means God save us. But their interpretation of the salvation was salvation from political dominance, from the Roman force. And yet Jesus's mission was far different than their vision. He wanted to save them from their selfishness, from their sin. He wanted their hearts to break for his kingdom. That's why Jesus taught us to pray. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I want your kingdom come to pass. They laid their palm branches in their coats and they had no idea what Jesus was going to do. And yet they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. 
You know, I wonder today if we could pray that prayer and have that call to Jesus a little differently. If we could say, break my heart for what breaks yours. Please, Jesus, Hosanna, save us. Hosanna, save us.